Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special anniversary episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian. This is Maggie. And on this episode, we are joined by a new special guest, Chuck. Chuck, how's it going? Hey, it's going really well. I didn't realize it was an anniversary episode. Yeah, um, it's the fourth anniversary of the podcast. And usually on our anniversary episodes, we like to do cult classics. And Chuck had pitched us the idea of doing a Clue episode. So we were like, oh, well, that's perfect for our fourth anniversary episode. Wait, this was also my idea. I don't I don't remember pitching it. <laughs> you pitched it to me. But thank you. This is so this is great. Chat. Auspicious. Yeah, that okay, that sounds right. Yep. We're off to a great start. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised. You know, we're having a great time. It's gonna Almost be great. as surprising as the endings, plural. Wait, there's there's more than one ending? <laughs> what? I don't think we've said it, but we're covering the movie Clue. I think Ian missed that in his intro. Oh, I definitely did. 1985's Clue. Sorry about that. (laughs) Um, So, yes, uh, 1985's Clue. It is a dark comedy mystery film based on the classic board game. It was directed and written by Jonathan Lynn, who was brought on board by John Landis, who is very famous for doing a lot of comedies like Animal House And he had come up with the original idea and had like certain requirements of you have to use the code names. uh, You have to incorporate like the idea of who did it with what in what room, et cetera. And Landis was actually originally supposed to direct, but was unavailable due to work on a different film. So he brought Lynn in to direct as well as write. It stars an all-star ensemble cast, including Eileen Brennan, who we on the podcast would know from The Sting. Uh, Tim Curry, who we on the podcast would know from Rocky Horror Picture Show, Madeline Kahn, who we would know from Young Frankenstein, and Christopher Lloyd, who we would know from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. All movies we've covered so far. And then, of course, Michael McKean, Martin Mull, Leslie Ann Warren, and Colleen Camp. I feel like one of the funniest like castings in this is the principal from Sabrina. Like Being in the movie is really funny to me, Martin Mull. That's that's how I oh, remember yeah. him. That is him, right? Maybe. I the whole time I was watching it, I was like, he looks so familiar, and I couldn't he looks place familiar. him. Ian, did you recognize anybody from those movies we've covered on our podcast? <laughs> I'm just oh, curious. I did a hundred percent. Like the the thing is, Madeline Kahn has a special place in my heart, and I relate to and in some ways aspire to be Mrs. White. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I know you. I know you said you aspire to be Mrs. White. We know you're Mrs. Peacock. It's yeah. The energy matches. I'm a lot less likely to take bribes for my husband, though. So just keep that in mind. <laughs> Madeline Kahn. So what movie did you mention she was in? Uh, Young Frankenstein is the one we've covered. I, d- I didn't even know that. Who is she in Young Frankenstein? Oh, God, I forget her name. She's um, Gene Wilder's fiance. Oh. They've got like the great uh, the train platform scene. <laughs> the chiffon. I'm glad you like brought up Young Frankenstein because this is such a like a Mel Brooks movie. Mm-hmm. Not with no Mel Brooks involvement. It's very Mel Brooks. Absolutely. Um, and I think there were a couple people who worked on it who were tied to a lot of like Mel Brooks movies too. It was either the editor or the cinematographer. I think. As far as casting goes, uh, Carrie Fisher was actually originally supposed to be Miss Scarlet, but unfortunately was not able to participate due to uh, going to drug and alcohol addiction treatment. Um, but she was the original choice and I think would have been really good. While I agree with you, I still love Leslie Ann Warren as Miss Scarlet. She like hits every beat perfectly. 
And she's one of those faces that you mentioned, like recognizing, but not being able to place. She is one of those people for me where I went through her filmography and like television credits and still I'm not sure why I know her face. (laughs) It's horrible for me. For me, it's because I think she's like the the Kmart Susan Sarandon, which is Uh, (laughs) kind of mean, but like they look so similar. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, no, I agree. I think she does a great job. Um, But I I do think uh, original casting choices are always interesting. Uh, Tim Curry was actually the third choice for Wadsworth. Uh, The original choice was Leonard Rossiter, who's a very famous British comedian. Um, And then the second choice was actually Rowan Atkinson, who was deemed not well known enough at the time because this was pre Mr. Bean. So American audiences didn't know him very much, although he was making a splash in the UK with Blackadder at the time, which is like one of my favorite shows. I've made you watch that, right? Oh, oh yes. Quick, quick aside. Patrick turned that on randomly yesterday on Hulu. It's on Hulu in case you didn't know. And I'm like, oh, why are you watching this? Well, there goes the rest of my day. Um, It goes away Wednesday. So watch it fast. Um, Sorry to get back on track. What was I going to say? Can I interrupt with a question? Yeah. Can I do it? Do we swear on this? Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah. All the time. Oh, excellent. Excellent. I had to filter myself for a second. I just got to double check. All right. Cool. You're you're totally good. I was going to ask where in Tim Curry's filmography does this sit? Is this like pre or post like Rocky Horror Picture Show? Post Rocky Horror. I think it's about 10 years later. So he was he was pretty well known to American audiences at the time. Um, Because I want to say Rocky Horror was like 75 or something like that. Yeah, you're right. Yep. But I still find it amazing that Rowan Atkinson is not well known at this time, given that I'm like, oh, Mr. Bean. (laughs) Mr. Bean wasn't until the 90s. I know, but that. Yeah. Yeah. I understand the choice. I just think he would also have been really good just in a very different way, because like Tim Curry adds this kind of serious undertone that I don't always get from Rowan Atkinson. Like, I don't know. It's a little sinister, right? Like, yeah. And less goofy. Like Rowan always seems like goofier. Yeah, I'd have like an easier time believing that Tim Curry was the mastermind of all these crimes, whereas Rowan Atkinson, I'd be like, surely someone helped him. But that's like a different kind of humor, right? Where it's like, oh, we thought he was like a bumbling idiot. Well, I guess I don't know if he would have been cast that way in this movie, but um, and then, you know, flip it. I mean, that's kind of what they do with Mr. Green, but we'll get to that. Yeah, I'm going to argue they do it with Miss Peacock, too. But that's just me. Sorry, I'm coming out of the gate strong with my ending. (laughs) Already going in hard defending your ending. Wow. Yeah. Have we set the premise where we're going to argue about the three different endings? We have, but I think Ian might have ruined it. Yeah, so uh, again, this falls perfectly under the definition of a cult classic. It came out to very mixed reviews. It did not do well at the box office uh, at the time. I think it grossed, it was $14.6 million in North America, and it had a $15 million budget. We can go into a little bit later about maybe some of the reasons why it didn't perform as well and some of the criticisms, but uh, it later became much more popular kind of when it was shown on TV, uh, because back in the day they would show a lot of films that didn't do so well cause they could get them cheaply. It's so funny that this was adapted and the murder is so upfront considering it's a children's board game that they had. It's something they would never do today. Like, Oh, let's take Candyland and put some, like really put the murder up front, you know, like that, 
that brown popsicle swamp guy. He's going to drown everybody like they did. I don't know. They just wouldn't do that today. And it's wild that they did that with a board game movie adaptation. I feel like the 80s was just a really wild time. They didn't give a shit. They were just going for it. (laughs) Blood, guts. What's an R rating? We don't care. I love it. I actually don't know what this was rated. PG. This was PG. No. I mean, if you did, they ever really show anybody killing anybody or it was just the aftermath? Because like when I think back on it, I think all the the worst part is the the knife in the back and a little bit of blood on Mr. Body's head. Things that would disqualify it from being PG today. It really was PG. I looked it up. They smoke a lot. They drink a lot. There's murder or like bodies falling out of places. There's blood. Uh, everyone loves staring at Yvette's boobs the whole time. Um, yeah, it just, just wouldn't fly. I did check to see if this would have been post or pre the institution of a PG-13 rating. Because I feel like a lot of times early movies when we're like, that was PG. And it's like, well, it was that or R. Um, this was after PG-13. So it was the year after Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which is why they Amazing. created that rating. Where they... <laughs> The guy put his hand in his chest and took his heart out. Yeah. Yeah. And oddly enough, monkey brains play into both movies. So got that going for us. It's true. That is true. With that, let's just jump into watch notes because that's all the background I got, or at least all the background I'm going to share right now. Holding Perfect. out on us. I'm not sure how I, how I like this. So I don't know about you all, but I love the opening credits and the introduction of the characters mostly because it is the like tongue in cheek nod at all of these wonderful horror whodunit sort of films. And I'm slightly embarrassed to admit, but I was definitely conflating murder by death with this movie for about the first 15 minutes, which was really, really bad. (laughs) I got like 20 texts in a row from Ian of just him trying to decide if he had or hadn't seen the movie before (laughs) and just you talking yourself into it and then talking yourself out of it. And there were definitely things that you confused with murder by death, which is another like spoof on um, like 1930s and forties mysteries. And um, I kept seeing that and I was like, he'll figure it out eventually. And I did. Thank you for letting me arrive at my own conclusions. (laughs) You're welcome. What was your conclusion? I completely forgot. Uh, I had seen it before. It took me a minute. Okay. Which is embarrassing. And I'll be honest, I watched it on Wednesday and then watched it again this morning. And I still forgot who did it in the last ending. So uh, apparently I have a memory of a goldfish. That's a great way to enjoy this movie, though. Like go through those endings, not really remembering any of them and just going along for the ride. is great. Yeah, I wasn't that mad at it. Um, With the intro, I like that you were kind of looking at it through the lens of uh, like homages to like whodunits and everything. But I just was hyper-focused on the dog shit bit where <laughs> the butler, Tim Curry, uh, steps in dog shit. And then every single guest that comes in the house is kind of like when he's meeting them and introduced, they, they smell, they're like, is someone, hmm, what is that? And they check their shoes. Oh my God, I was cracking up. That's like a very Mel Brooks bit. Yeah, it's very Brooks. Um, I, I like it too because they carry it like just long enough. Like they don't try and carry the joke too long. They hit it at the beginning and each actor, I think it's such a testament to their comedic abilities because everyone has like the perfect reaction to it. Nothing's overblown, but it's still like wonderfully hilarious. It's like, it's such like a, a throwaway useless bit. There's no reason it doesn't drive the plot. It's just like funny shit about shit. (laughs) And it's great. 
Well, it does introduce the guard dogs, That's which true. actually are kind of important. Pivotal to the plot, maybe. Uh, are they? I, <laughs> I mean, they set the premise where like you can't escape the you house. Can't get and out, I, okay, yeah. fair. Which fair. we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but actually, like, it feels like the first twenty minutes are kind of a serious movie, aside from like the dog shit bit, right? Like. But there are those like subtle nods to it not being. So the introduction of Miss Scarlet is one that I love where she pulls that it happened one night with the leg pop to get Professor Plum to pull over and help her to the, the house, which I, I love that bit. Also, that was the part that I was definitely conflating with other movies. It was bad. It's fine. Um, is that where they get up to the house and you have the lightning and uh, Miss Scarlet goes, why is the car stopped? And Professor Plum goes, because it's frightened. Yes. Oh, my God. It's <laughs> so love that good. Line. Um, I think uh, all of the character introductions here are like perfect. Um, I do want to talk about costuming a little bit at this point, because I mean, obviously, everyone's assigned their color um, and like their code name. But I think with the way they do the costuming, they could have put everyone just like fully in their color, but instead they do it with like the little subtle nods. Although it did always bother me that Miss Scarlet's dress is like a peacock blue green. That one always did bother me like just a little bit. But she's kind of got like auburn hair, right? Yeah. And she's got like the red lip. Yeah. Well, but Miss White has uh, the super, super red nail polish, which again, speaking of costuming, I thought was great since she's positioned as like the literal well, not literal, but the trope of the Black Widow, all in black mm -hmm. looking, I think, as uh, Wadsworth put it, uh, pale and uh, what is it? Pale and more like morose yeah. or something, which something like that. writing is pithy as hell. I love it, um, but totally agree with the costuming. Her introduction when she walks in and she's like wearing all black, it's like, oh, this is Mrs. White. And they pull the jacket off and the interior of it is all white. That's fantastic costume design. Like, it's just. Yeah, I really loved that. When the music comes in with like this little trill too, like the score is so good. Um, it was John Morris who did the score, who also did. He's the one who also did Young Frankenstein and a lot of Mel, Mel Brooks ah, scores. The DNA is there. So that's why the score comes in at like the perfect comedic moments. Um, but yeah, you have, uh, let's see, Miss White, Colonel Mustard, Professor Plum, Miss Scarlet, Miss Peacock. And of course, her costuming, you've got like the the rhinestone glasses that are so good and like the little hat with the feathers. So she's all peacocky. Is what do you call that thing that it's just like a little plate that just like sits on our head with the little floofs? Uh, your Sunday best is what you call it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel like her costuming was so on the nose and like perfect for her character. She is just like vapid and unhinged and <laughs> all over the place which to your point Ian, it makes her a really great like villain in one of the end scenarios but Let's see how oh and mr green we have our bumbling mr green <laughs> sit no not you the dogs that that's probably beside the the dog shit bit that is an, my other favorite moment in the intros that one really kills me. Like, his, and I guess we'll talk about his ongoing bit throughout the whole movie and how it pays off. But man, kills it. And it's it's wild that out of all these guys, um, all the this cast between him and uh, Christopher Lloyd, he might be the most currently popular with his because uh, he is in Better Call Saul, which I've not called the way up, caught all the way up on, but. You know, he was like one of the leads in the at least the first couple seasons, right? I don't know. I haven't seen it, but 
Now I want to because I love him in Clue. Yep. Oh, he's been in a lot, as I say, as I pull up his uh, again. Oh, he was in Drunk History in two episodes. Yes. Anyway, sorry. Way off topic. Okay. Oh, and uh, we'll talk about Professor Plum. I love that his introduction is as a pervert straight away. Oh, Oh, yeah. With the butt grab. (laughs) Yep. And Christopher Lloyd. I love that he was in this and Back to the Future the same year. Was it the same year? Yeah, 1985. Marty, we gotta go to 1985, you know? <laughs> I was genuinely curious because I'm like, oh, wait, he is the professor, but he doesn't have, you know, white hair and looks a lot younger. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so much younger. And you look at him today and it's like, it's like, oh, please be gentle with Christopher Lloyd. We can't lose him. He, he looks very frail. Oh. He's doing all his like comeback appearances as Doc Brown and commercials and daytime tv yeah i can't we already lost sydney poitier this year i can't lose another i shouldn't Uh, have summoned it into the ether like that don't manifest this yeah don't manifest (laughs) uh what was i gonna say oh uh i think he has like a surprising amount of range because that's two comedic roles but comedic in very different ways and then just thinking about the first time we covered one of his performances on the podcast and one flew over the cuckoo's nest which is extremely different um, and that was like his film debut, I think. That movie is a trip. Just who's a supporting character and who's cast in that movie. It's like, oh, Danny DeVito and Christopher. Le- why? Why are you? This is great. But why? It's great. That's the first time I realized that Danny DeVito was as small as he is. <laughs> um, and then we also, I guess, in this section, we have the introduction of Yvette and the cook. Which I do do love the bit with the cook, like pulling out the knife and you have like the musical sting and we're like, okay, we're ready for our murder mystery. Um, Contrasting with Yvette, who's just like bopping around in the library to the 50s music. And I think it's in one of those scenes. They actually have the McCarthy hearings going on in a TV in the background. It's in the kitchen with the cook, which I think is so appropriate, given the HUAC reference about halfway in. I was wondering when McCarthy would come up because I, uh, the episode I listened to, you, you mentioned how you had talked about it at length and how it affected um, different films over the years. And this is kind of like a different way of McCarthyism is making its way into one of your film reviews, right? Where they're kind of lampooning it and using it as a plot device. It's really interesting. Well, and actually part of the reason that it's like set in the 50s and kind of as the mystery unfolds, it seems like it's going to be very politically motivated is because uh, Jonathan Lynn was friends with a lot of actors who were blacklisted during that era and then had moved over to the UK because he's a British director. Uh, So that was like the period in American history he was most familiar with. And he incorporated that into the story. And I do appreciate that there is like an actual story here that clearly people like paid attention to. And there's like world building and character building, because I think if you're basing something off of like a board game, you could see people just kind of like half assing that part of the film. I mean, is that's kind of how you get like the emoji movie and Angry Birds. <laughs> I'm looking forward to those those episodes, by the way, that you guys are going to review those movies. It's going to be great. You guys can uh, do those without only me. the best cinematic like masterpieces make it on this podcast. Patrick Stewart as a poop emoji. <laughs> All time casting. I can't. Ian, I'm going to kick you off of this podcast one day. It's fine. I probably deserve it. But no, I totally agree with you about the storyline. Um, having like something there was so important. And they 
the writing, like I said, is is I think really good and extremely quotable. That's that's I think the part that really sticks with people, um, or at least with me. That's most of my notes. It's just quotes. Same here. <laughs> um, and then apparently when they like had all the cast together, like shortly before filming, uh, Lynn had them watch His Girl Friday, which is a very famous screwball comedy with Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell from. I want to say it's 1940, uh, but the pace, it's like all that, those really quick one liners, like back and forth and like the banter being really important. And then kind of like the the delivery being very sort of like quick and natural was how he wanted to pace the dialogue. So while it's set in the 50s, I feel like it's a lot more reminiscent pace wise and writing wise of like 30s and 40s. Which is what makes it feel very like a very much like a British comedy to me, I think is the pacing and the kind of like bitey retorts and the cadence that they have. For sure. Yeah. Too late. What? You did. Oh, to make a long story short, too late. You missed half the joke though. You only said the end. It's fine. It's, it's fine. Don't worry about it. You were too late Uh, on the setup of that joke. (laughs) Got him. Oh, so they, uh, I guess in the intro, but at least last thing for me that I wanted to make a quick mention of was uh, the physicality of the the actors and the physical comedy that they're pulling together with this, Um, especially in the library with the disappearing door (laughs) where the colonel all of a sudden is like, wait, where did you go? It's just a wall of books. And the fact that he gets, you know, pushed in the corner because he doesn't realize there's a door there. Just things like that kind of add to the screwball of it all. Um, I loved it. Continue it throughout. I want a library with a door like that. I'll get lost. I'll constantly forget where the door is. That's going to be the problem. I I want to remember to bring this up. But speaking of slapstick like that, my favorite slapstick bit in this movie is when anytime more than one person has tried to go through an opening, (laughs) whether it's going up the stairs or going through the door, three of them kind of go and they get stuck on each other and they do it. They have to do it at least a dozen times in the movie. And I get I'm not tired of it at any point. Really great. Like uh, Mr. Green and Yvette walking downstairs or upstairs, getting stuck on each other and almost falling over. It's like very serious, you know, situation, but hilarious. Yeah, I think all the comedy works because all of the actors play it so straight. But then their physicality is ridiculous. Speaking of introductions, when they go into the dining room and that's when they find out that their uh, host, Mr. Body, uh, well, host slash other guest, Mr. Body, is going to be joining them later. Um, and we do have the line where Colonel Mustard asks Wadsworth what he does, um, says, what exactly do you do? And he's like, I'm a butler. I buttle, sir. <laughs> Which I love. Also took a note of that. But that that whole dialogue there, minus the fact that Miss Peacock is, as Professor Plum puts it, afraid of silence or just has to talk all the time, the like flow of that entire conversation and reveal of all of them being like from Washington DC or just uh, working for the government. I found that to be impressive, like didn't stutter, totally natural, felt really great for everybody to be in their different characters, asking their different questions. So like it just, again, really, really great writing there. I feel like Madeline Kahn steals that scene though. Because you have just the cuts to like her reactions as Mrs. White. Um, and there's already like the sinisterness there and her uh, describing what her husband does. And it's just like he just lays around on his back all day. 
But this is why I love Madeline Kahn, because she plays so straight to the most ridiculous things. It's just beautiful every time. She was really stellar in this. And I I want to know who like she was taking inspiration from or like what she was kind of pulling from, because she went for something very specific and it worked out really well. Very, uh, very Lorena Bobbitt, if you will. I feel like she always makes like a very strong character choice in like everything she's in, like Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles, this like it's a very strong bold character choice and then she just leans into it and it works apparently the character of mrs white was actually kind of underwritten in the first script and then madeline Kahn expressed interest and they were like okay yeah we got to flesh this character out for her um you mentioned blazing saddles and i i did want to i wanted to bring this up on your podcast little did you know <laughs> i am the third cousin of slim pickens aka lewis lindley who is in blazing saddles and in dr strange love so there you go. Yes, he's um he's the pilot in Doctor Strange Love. Yep. That's and awesome. he's like uh I think he's like yeah. the sheriff in Blazing Saddles and he's a piece of shit. So it's really good. We'll have to bring you back on for a Blazing Saddles episode. Absolutely. It's, we'll just work our way through all of uh Mel Brooks's filmography. That's what we'll do when we finish all the best pictures. <laughs> we'll just become a Mel Brooks podcast. Oh, or we just pick our favorite directors and watch all of their filmography. Like I mean, honestly, we're just gonna start doing whatever the fuck we want. I mean, when has had having a backlog of films ever stopped us? <laughs> it hasn't. You know, what's a uh, different with this film uh, when you're comparing it to like Mel Brooks movies. Uh, you can watch this one. and There's not a lot of problematic content in it that didn't age well. Unlike Mel Brooks, which is like every single one has something you're like, oh, I could have let, let that one left that maybe in the 80s. I'm trying to think about Young Frankenstein. I think Young Frankenstein might be mostly OK, but that's partially because it is so stylized and so modeled after yep. the original, I think. Um, but yeah, uh, Chuck and I were talking about this earlier, but uh, this movie ages like really well, which I think is not something you see as much with comedies. I think comedies can have a tendency to age very poorly. Uh, Murder by Death, which Ian and I have referenced a couple of times, while it is very funny, there are definitely things in it that are very cringy. So... With the we, we get the introduction of Mr. Body, which the suspense that they have built up to this point and the like anticipation of every character listening to the butler and Mr. Body converse in the hall. Like you have Yvette at the door, like with her ear pressed, trying to figure out what he's saying. Um, love the immediate switch of tone from kind of like the slightly jovial kind of conversation at the table over some really disgusting looking food. Um, Monkey brains. Yeah, apparently um, you get the switch in music. Mrs. Peacock's favorite. Uh, she would have that taste. And by that taste, I mean, bad taste. Um <laughs> But they did such a good job and like even the acting there, how they give different glances to Mr. Body as he comes in. Just loved, loved that switch. I will say overall, I was not the biggest fan of leaving um, and his performance just because there was this like, I don't know, overall, I would have expected to see a little bit more confusion and a little bit less like I am completely in control of the the situation from him. Um, so I don't know. That character felt really flat to me. Definitely saved by the rest of the cast, but 
that was, I don't know how you all felt about that. I think the Mr. Body stuff's like poorest written part of it. Like it's the part that makes the least amount of sense. Um, granted, I'm willing to just roll with it, but I, I would agree. I think it's the worst performance, the roughest part of the script. You'll just sweep the body under the rug. Hey, that's pretty good. <laughs> Sometimes I hate you. Uh, I think Mr. Body and when he comes to the movie is when it puts it squarely in the 80s. It's like, oh, yeah, this was definitely made in the 80s because he's like, hey, I'm a I'm like a mobster with my greased back hair. And it's like, oh, yeah, you, this tone doesn't really like mesh with anything else. So, yeah. Compared to the rest of the casting, even comparing the cook, Yvette, the singing telegram, maybe my favorite <laughs> character in the movie. So short lived. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Body just it's like, why did they do this? Why did you take this direction with it? But luckily he's in it for what? 10, 15 minutes. 20. Yeah, I think that's just literally because like they had to have a Mr. Body because of the board game. But yeah, he's he's blackmailing everyone. We get hints at some secrets. I think this is where we find out that uh, Mrs. White is what on like her fifth husband or something like that. I guess looking for number six. They talk about the two that died. One disappeared. He was an illusionist. He wasn't a very good illusionist. <laughs> <laughs> that might be my favorite line. Is that uh, that's really good. good. Illusionist. Okay, but her her lines when she's talking about her like fifth husband to Colonel Mustard, like this is a little bit further on. I'm getting ahead of myself. Oh, how many husbands? No, I think it's a dinner. The how many husbands have you had? Oh, yeah. Minor other people's. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then husbands should be like Kleenex. Soft. Was it Soft strong and disposable and then yeah. something about oh you're just like attracting them like flies oh flies are where men are most vulnerable like again Madeline stealing the scenes and it's her and Martin Mullet like the pace is perfect it's so good he plays such a bumbling idiot throughout the whole thing that doesn't know he's a bumbling idiot and ever it, he's just taken advantage of in all of those exchanges and it's fantastic are you trying to make me look stupid? You don't need any help from me, sir. That's right. Like, I just... <laughs> so confident. Again, so Ugh. quotable, too. <laughs> and also just, like, perfect for that character, right? Like, this just bumbling colonel who's in charge of a super important weapons program in the 50s. It feels right. It is, like, very... It, it has hints of Doctor Strangelove. Um... So they they do the dinner. Mr. Body's introduced. They all make their way to the study. And that's when like the plot is unfurled, right? Um, mm -hmm. This guy's blackmailing you. You're all from D.C. or work in D.C. Speaking of, I live in Washington, D.C. Ian, don't think you knew that. Um, Are you also corrupt and un-American? <laughs> I'm very corrupt and un-American. That's right. And a socialist gasp. Um, oh, that reveal <laughs> is probably like up there in my top reveals of the film because it's yes. like the worst thing anybody could be. It's like, oh, you, you run a like a phone service and a um, specialized hotel. No problem. But a socialist. Oh, my God. Well, my favorite is when he's uh, is it, I can't remember exactly when it is, but Wadsworth is being like uh, something like you're all so un-American or something but he's listing all of the bad shit they've all done like that's not what breaks like that's that's fine 
That's very American. <laughs> no, the biggest crimes in this movie, right, are uh, the socialism and the homosexual in the room, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the movie knows that that's absurd, and that's why it plays so well. The movie knows that it's so stupid and realistic for the time. Yeah, I think after seeing so many movies that were... Uh, hurt or shaped by McCarthyism in not fun or funny ways. Uh, it's really nice to see a movie that like is highlighting the most ridiculous aspects of it. Uh, I have a question. We're talking about the study scene where kind of like the plot is really revealed. The weapons are doled out. Are we going to, Hmm. I mean, things happen in this movie. Like the details are on screen that kind of support the endings. Right. And I, I don't know about you, but I would pause and rewind 30 seconds and rewatch it again when I thought some of those details didn't track or when I was thinking about the endings that I knew were going to happen. I was like, was this person actually here? Was this weapon here? I don't know if you guys did that at all, but I, I really like nitpicking that stuff. It's not the right movie to do that, but you can with it. It's really fun. It's still fun. I So the first time I watched it, I was like, I'm not going to take any notes. I'm just going to let myself enjoy the ride. Uh, Cause it had been a while since I watched it. And then the second time I was like sitting there, like taking notes and I was like highlighting and I was like, wait, was that person in that room? And I was like, what's going to support my argument? My problem is I didn't remember the endings either time I watched it. So I couldn't do that. I, <laughs> I, you baffle me. Mr. Body's the first one that gets taken out, right? Mm -hmm. um, the lights go out. We hear a gunshot. Uh, Everyone has their, their weapons. The gun only ever kills one person in the movie, right? The gun that was provided in the package, yes. Depending depending on the ending. No. Yes. There are two guns in one of the endings, right? In one of them. But the tel singing telegram girl gets shot. Yeah. Yes, by by the titular or the the weapon, yes. Right. So oh, I guess I f Mr. Body, I forget. He's not actually killed by the gun. Right. <laughs> Damn it. Correct. Got me. <laughs> Did they ever say what he got hit with? Was it the candlestick or the pipe? That or the wrench, maybe? No, I think it was the candlestick because I think theoretically every weapon gets used. I forgot. His first death is faked. Mm -hmm. He's not really dead. He doesn't actually get hit. He just, I, which is so strange. Like, so he sets up the scenario, turns off the light. He had given everyone weapons. And then when the lights go out, he fakes his own death and slumps on the floor. Well, doesn't he first start to run? And then that's when we see like the dogs, like you can't just escape through a window or something because of the dogs, which that's the part that confuses me is I'm like, theoretically, he set this up. So why is he <laughs> running? The Misty body, the Mr. Body shit is the, the most like half baked part of the movie. But it for sure. still tracks with the this is what really happened ending. If you notice. Kind the third of. Ending? Yes. If you don't believe in Occam's razor. Well, okay. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. It's not Occam's Razor. There's no mystery for us to solve. We, the viewer, are given the endings at the yeah. end. If, we have, if we're given all the evidence and then asked to suss it out on our own, sure, Occam's Razor applies here. I have a philosophy degree. I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but no, the thing with Mr. Body, the only thing that bugged me with him was his demeanor throughout all of this stuff. Because... Do you all care if I just like talk about the last ending because it's important for the case I'm trying to build? Sure, I do I care deeply. It, we'll see. Okay, well that's fine. Uh, <laughs> I'll default to yes since it was half yes, half no, and I'll round up be optimistic. Uh, <laughs> Consent's not important. Go ahead. <laughs> but the the fact that he was 
also a victim makes him running around trying to escape makes sense. Now, the what he does with that and his demeanor is he's like providing the weapons of everybody's deaths doesn't match. But like in terms of the actual actions that he takes and the fact that he wants to leave, I am totally on board. I feel like it doesn't work with every ending. Like that's the problem. Like I we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Let's move on. <laughs> okay. I bet it made tons of sense to the writers, you know? Probably at like 2 a.m. when you're trying to get your script in on deadline. I'm sure it made a ton of sense. Maybe some details uh, didn't make it into the final cut of the movie or maybe some things got rearranged. Uh, any, any one of those scenarios could kind of explain that. Or maybe all the effort was put into making Madeline Kahn's part better. So uh, who knows? <laughs> Which honestly worth it. Oh, absolutely. I'll take that trade. Um, so I guess we're also given the reveal that the cook has been stabbed in the back and just like kind of falls out of the God, I love this reveal. So they go to they go to a vet first because she screams. She's been recording them for blackmail. More blackmail, more proof, I guess. Well, and I love when they're like, Well, why did you scream? And she's like, Because I'm scared. Because I like also had idiot. the cognac. <laughs> yes, because uh, Mrs. Peacock drinks the cognac after we think Mr. Body has died. Mr. Green's like, what if it was poisoned? And then she's frantic and freaking out. And Mr. Green slaps the shit out of her. <laughs> that bit. I love that it comes back multiple oh, times. Yes. It's like, what? I had to stop her from screaming. It's like, oh, man. Nobody was worried, dude. Why are you defending yourself? <laughs> yeah. And then you have Yvette screaming. Everyone runs to a vet. We do see Wadsworth taking the uh, recording, which I think is an interesting, potentially important detail. I missed that. That is a good detail. Why did he do that? He had to, he did that because they're trying to collect all the the blackmail evidence and keep it in the same spot, right? Yeah. So he put that in the study so. with everything else. Yeah. Okay. But yes, then it is is the cook. Um, do appreciate the false sting in the soundtrack before the body falls out which i don't know i always love that hey the tension's gone no it's not and then of course we get scarlet screaming so everybody just screams it's great we were talking earlier about rewinding so right before the cook scene do you know who's not present in the doorway when they're talking to yvette mr body it well okay (laughs) that's a little unfair yes mr body and the cook great miss peacock mrs peacock is not there you do see her run down the hall, though. Yeah, but she she drifts out of frame. And then when it, there's a shot of all of them standing in the doorway of the uh, the billiards room, she's not there. So for me as a viewer, I'm like, oh, clearly this peacock left and went and killed the cook right then. Right. But that doesn't make its way into all three of the endings, Mm-mm. which had to be like a wild thing to plan out. Like, I wonder if they wrote the endings first and then backtracked. That's how I'd do it. but Because the Miss Scarlet ending doesn't make sense if that's the case. If Miss yes. Peacock's uh, not there, Miss Scarlet is. No, because no, she is. didn't have time. I don't think a vet would ever murder for somebody else. I, we'll get there. <laughs> okay, so fast forwarding just a little bit to when everybody's breaking off into pairs and searching Wait, for the... we have to talk about when the cook actually falls out of the pantry oh. Mr. Green. <laughs> I thought we did already. No, it's so funny. <laughs> Michael McKean's just performance at that moment is so good. And it would be Mr. Green. 
I like he's like uh, she falls out of the freezer, right? He's trying to catch her. He goes, somebody help me. And Miss Scarlet walks up and she's kind of lays her hands up and acts like she's going to. It does not. Yeah, no, she it just slumps on the, the ground. The amount of time it takes him to just like collapse to the floor. <laughs> yes. oh, and thus begins the bit of the cook's body just slumping and <laughs> on the floor. Every time. Like at least four different times. It's amazing. <laughs> Yep. Because this is when they try and they're like, okay, well, we're going to collect all the bodies in the same room. I think we've already introduced the idea of like the police are on their way. And I think Wadsworth says we had to figure out who killed Mr. Body in the next 39 minutes, which I then checked the time and I was like, but it's more than 35 minutes left in my movie. And then I was like, but there are multiple endings. 12 minutes of endings, in fact. <laughs> so I think that would have, yeah, that would have come out to 39 minutes. It, I checked too. It's not quite, it doesn't quite line up, but it's close. Gotta appreciate the detail. Oh, this movie does something. Um, so whenever there's a movie where someone gets shot by an arrow, or gets stabbed in the back, and there's something sticking out of them. This is the only movie I've ever seen that's like, oh, we can't put her on her back because it'll push the knife in deeper. It's like they overtly talk about this in the film. And I was like, I don't think that's ever been like considered. She's dead. Is that a concern? Yeah, they say that out loud. They're like, oh, you know, don't put her on her back. It'll push the knife in. And I was like, wow, they really, right, they really but I brought don't know that why up. That's like movie that. logic that kind of gets ignored. Yeah, I don't. It's like, why did that get in the script? But I'm glad they talked about it. Yeah, you have them carrying the cook's body. And I love the way they just drop her when they walk back and Mr. Body's no longer there. Again, the physical comedy there is just great. So great. The reactions that everyone has with these first few murders and like how insane and I guess over the top, but also I've never found a murdered body, so I don't know how I would react. Um, but just how it contrasts later when like everyone's so over it. Um, I did want to mention one more thing with the knife. Uh, so Colonel Mustard, someone's like looking at the body and is about to touch the knife and take it out of the cook's back. And he goes, no, don't touch it. Fingerprints. And then he just grabs it. <laughs> he just grabs the knife, which is either like him being really stupid or being really smart because he knows his fingerprints are already on it. Mm. Right. I think I prefer to think it's the stupid. I mean, given the other stuff he does over the course of the movie. Probably much more likely Total idiot. So, of course, Miss Peacock being uh, dramatic is like, oh, God, I got to go powder my nose. Wee oui, wee. Oui. <laughs> no, oh <laughs> so funny. I think Colleen Camp is like super underrated in this. I think she does a phenomenal She's job. She's really good. Perfect example of a s relatively small role that kind of steals the scenes in which she she's interacting with the characters because even like in the dinner scene when she's placing the plate in front of scarlet like it's funny she takes up uh, a lot of screen real estate if you will um for the listeners at home she's got she's got big old honkers it's a lot of cleavage they are an ongoing <laughs> bit and i love everyone's reaction to i think mrs peacocks is my favorite yep uh when she first meets yvette uh, her reaction's yes. so funny. Eileen Brennan killing it. Uh, but I do think, like, to a certain extent, like, Yvette's character could have just been boiled down to, like, the only joke is that, like, she has big boobs. But because of, like, Camp's performance, I feel like she is able to, that's part of it, but she's able to kind of transcend and be, like, funny in other ways, too. Yeah, totally agree. So Miss, Miss Peacock, of course, screams again in the hall, and we see the corpse of Mr. Body 
like mummy style coming out of the bathroom and quote attacking Miss Peacock. Which is so funny to see. This time, though, you do see like the blood on his head. So he's very obviously deceased at this point. Um, and then we get the consolidation of all of the bodies into the study. And that one, he was clearly killed with the candlestick, right? Because it was nearby it was, for some reason. And this was purely for the physical comedy bit. It's on top of the bathroom door frame so that Tim Curry gets bonked on the head by it. With that, I'm not yelling. All right, fine. I'm yelling. <laughs> Bonk. Yep. And then collect all the bodies, like you said. I think that's when they lock up all the weapons, too, right? Yes, I think so. And this is this, like, in this portion is when they start to split up to search the house. Yeah. There is a moment, I, I can't remember exactly when it is, but there is a moment where Scarlet makes a joke and somebody goes, how can you just tell a joke at a time like this? And she just goes, it's my defense mechanism. I was like, I feel seen. Me too, girl. I definitely thought of you, Maggie. Oh, millennial. <laughs> the whole splitting up. I like how it doesn't make any sense, even in the context of the film. But they're going to do it because it's going to be it'll be fun. And just the scene of everyone comparing. So they like have the matches and then they cut them to different links. And like you pair with the person with the same link and everyone going around and like comparing the links of the matches, even when they very clearly are different like you've got professor plum with like the small match like looking at somebody who has like clearly the full like foot long match and well just... yeah because he wants to be paired with yvette <laughs> he's so creepy yeah. everyone's paired with like the worst person for them to be paired with uh it's comedically optimized for sure uh the whole scene like what instructions do you give the actors there hey be as awkward as humanly possible for us comparing these because that's my God, like just watching everyone interact in that scene and they shove as many people as they can in front of the camera, just bumping into each other and like navigating around each other. Really I wonder good. if you even had to give those actors direction. I feel like to a certain extent, you're just like, this is what you will physically have to do in this scene. And then you just let them. I'm sure they understood the assignment and it just happened like with this group. Speaking of Yvette, uh, speaking of Yvette stealing the show, did you notice that she's the only one that when they all split up and are exploring the house, she's still holding her match? No. <laughs> that they used to draw. That's so good. <laughs> Not lit. She's holding it up like a defense mechanism, just like holding it up in front of her like it's going to do something. It is so funny. I don't know why that got me so good. When they're in the dark attic, too. So it's not even that the match is lit. She's, she just has it. So good. Ian, which if we're in a murder mystery scenario on the Best Pictures podcast. Oh no. Which which group are we? Which group are we? Yeah, if we got paired up to go search a house where multiple murders have happened. We're definitely uh Scarlet and Mustard, because I would a hundred percent ditch you to check the ballroom. Rude. But um, true. I disagree. <laughs> I think we're a vet and Mr. Green because I think we're both standing at the bottom of that staircase refusing to be the first person to go up it. <laughs> I mean, could be both. I don't know. <laughs> you ever abandoned me in a haunted house? This podcast is over. You know how we talked about Tim Curry putting putting like a real sinister performance in this? I feel like I want to say two things. Number one, I'm a Slytherin. And number two, I would probably be uh, a Wadsworth. Is that his name? Mm -hmm. That's just, I'm sorry. That's what I bring to those scenarios. If you ever play like a board game with me, I am the asshole. And uh, yeah, I think I think that's how I would be, unfortunately. But he was 
extremely fair and upfront about it. So I'll give him that. Depends on the ending, right? (laughs) Well, that's true. Very, very, very true. But this whole like split up scene, I think, is really opportunity for everybody's like comedy to shine through. And especially Tim Curry and Madeline Kahn on the like one floor where they're each going into separate bedrooms (laughs) and trying to like not be murdered by the other. (laughs) I thought that was the most brilliant pairing. Those two. Because like he's. He's deeply afraid of her. (laughs) Which one of them would you guys be most afraid of? Scarlet, for sure. She's so flirty. Flirty with everyone, too. Man or woman, she doesn't care. I was about to say Mrs. White, and I remembered that Professor Plum's an actual predator. So I'm going to switch my answer really quickly. Oh, yeah. But my my gender definitely played into that decision. Like, Plum is not a threat to me. (laughs) (laughs) And Miss Scarlet is a threat to everybody. I do love the line uh, Tim Curry says when he walks into the bedroom because he doesn't flip on a light to search it, but he just goes, if there's anybody in here, just look out. <laughs> do you remember what Miss White, White says in, in that same scene? No, I forgot to write she it down. Goes, she goes, is anyone in here? I'm coming. <laughs> oh, it was so much scarier. <laughs> yeah, I can't do it justice. But it's just like, huh, that's, hmm. it's like you're warning them. You're like, she has than- killed five husbands. She has killed before she will kill again. Apparently other people's God. husbands too, as we learned. But the reveal, I, I, eventually we do get the reveal of... Um, I do want to say something about the editing here really quickly though, because the way we bounce between the pairs, I think is brilliant. And like you start with Mr. Green and Yvette at the bottom of that staircase, and then you like bounce around and then you come back to them and they're still there. And then that's where you have them like being like, okay, well, we'll go at the same time, both like walking up the staircase and like they can't fit like Mr. Green's pushing Yvette. Yeah, I, I love that editing. And then, of course, we have the ballroom with Scarlet where you have like the little like bloop in the curtain. Describe that more. What do you mean? Bloop. Um, So there's like a curtain. OK. And then she's looking at it and then it just goes like bloop. As ah. if there's like a breeze behind it. So you're doing a motion. I know. I know. <laughs> All right. So the curtain bloops and it was just broken glass. Yeah. Yeah. So the wind blooped the curtain. Exactly. All right. It looked like there was somebody behind it. And I, Leslie and Warren's like reaction there where she like wants to scream, but kind of can't, I think is wonderful. The closed caption said sharp inhale was the like way they described her little gasp or maybe it was sharp gasp. Anyway, um, it's just a broken pane of glass. Which I'm thinking all of the energy that they spend to heat this house and they have a broken pane of glass. Oh, my God. Have you have you ever paid a heating bill for for an old house? Yes. My God. Ian Ian lives in a house from the 20s. My house is 110 years old. (laughs) Same. My house in Michigan, 110 years old. Good Lord. I don't wish it on anybody. That house, all I could think was like, okay, there's a lot of fucking dust in there. The heating bill's insane. And that wiring's all old and risky. That's my baggage I'm bringing to the film. Okay. <laughs> so in the midst of all of the scene, we get introduced to, I think it's th- three people arrive, a traveler, a cop, and a singing telegram, which that came out of left field, was not <laughs> like ready for that when she showed up. Um, but the traveler is the first to come. It's a motorist. Like his car just broke down. Motorist. That was the word. It, that's a very specific word that I was surprised that they used. It's just like, okay, random dude who's broken down, but a motorist. Why Why is that a weird word for you? 
it's just a weird, it's not a common word to use. So it's just like very specific. Okay. Maybe it's because it's from the fifties, but, um, or supposed to be in the fifties, but they lock him in the stud lounge. Mm, yes. In a room. <laughs> One of the rooms. Not the study, because that's where the bodies were, not the billiards room. Right. I think it's the lounge because the cop gets locked in the library. Yes, you're right. So he's in there as part of like in one sequence. The Is this when the lights go out when they turn? No, I think the lights go out when the cop. When they kill the cop. Yeah, it's killed. I think the motorist is just killed in the lounge. Um, at this point, I think Scarlet and Colonel Mustard have both have found both the secret or they found one of the secret passageways, at least. Yes, because they end up getting in the lounge with the dead motorist. Yes, which I also want a house with secret passageways. That would be a lot of fun. This is so much fun. But I did love how he got killed and cut off <laughs> before he's like saying who his boss is, because it's like, ah, give me the answer. I want to know. Yeah, like the interrupted phone call deaths. So there's two of them, I think, in this <laughs> in this movie. Uh, do they? I can't remember. What's the setup scene for the motorist when he gets killed? He just does he just get bonked on the head? I think so. Because it, isn't it the wrench? No, I think the wrench is the cop. I thought the lead pipe was the cop. Oh, maybe the lead pipe is the cop. There's a lot of bludgeoning weapons. What did the motorist say on the phone before? It, was it that he knew someone? Yeah, he's like, I. they used to be my boss or something like that. It was my boss from Bonk. And then we just don't get to hear. And that turns out to be Colonel Mustard's driver. Right. Because I think you, yeah, they say it later. And I think you can also see like in one of the pictures from his. Was he actually in the photo? Mm-hmm. I missed that detail. That's really good. Now the cop storyline I find to be. Well, and then we have Colonel Mustard and Miss Scarlet locked in the. Oh, that's right. They find the body. And I do, because I do love the let us in, let us in, let us out, let us out. And if that's an amazing shot, can I just like the fact she's able to in two shots just shoot off the locks of these doors from like 30 feet away. <laughs> Impressive. Well, in the first one, she trips over Wadsworth and shoots the <laughs> chandelier. That was great. And then uh, Martin Wall's reaction. So a bullet flies through, just glances off, glances off his shoulder or whatever. He goes, you shot me. It's <laughs> just like so surprised. <laughs> but yeah, she's a she's a she's a dead shot. She's great. His little rant where he's like, I can't handle one more scare. And then the chandelier, chandelier crashes yep. and almost gets him. Uh, I, I actually did like the shots on the chandelier as it is slowly unraveling. And again, the suspense that's built there. It's oh, yeah. Cinematography is great. And I think the cop arrives shortly after this yep. because the cop arrives and there is a busted chandelier just in the entryway that's never addressed with a gun underneath it that the cop does not notice. We've established he's not a great cop because he's like, I feel like I'm in danger. And then he gets killed. Well, first we have them trying to hide everything from the cop. Wadsworth goes to take a call or something. Uh, it's J. Edgar Hoover's on the line. <laughs> yeah. um, I love the why is J. Edgar Hoover on your phone? Well, he's on everyone else's. Why shouldn't he be on mine? And then he just closes himself in the study. The J. Edgar Hoover jokes were real hot. In 1985, for some reason, it doesn't quite like land now, but I still I like it. Oh, I think they're funny. Yeah. 
And then we have uh, poor bumbling Mr. Green, who has already multiple times tripped over things. Uh, He's prone to accidents, Maggie. He fell off that. (laughs) He fell off that desk at one point. Uh, They're like, you can show him what is it? The ballroom or the (laughs) kitchen room, the kitchen. (laughs) So specific. And he's, of course, like, well, I want to see what are in these two rooms, meaning the study and I guess the lounge. Yeah. The fast thinking of the rest of this group is just mm, chef's kiss. Like the fast thinking of Miss Scarlet. The weekend at Bernie's bullshit that they pull off in this scene. (laughs) Making out with dead bodies. Okay, you can see from the doorway, you can see the head wound on Mr. Body. (laughs) But we've established this cop is not good at his job. He missed the gun in the hallway. I love that you can't go in there. It's too shocking. He's like, what do you mean it's too shy? These people are just having a good time. They're having a good time. None of this is illegal. This is America. <laughs> the cut to Colonel Mustard and Mrs. Peacock's faces <laughs> where they're just like, I'm scarred for life by all of this. I mean, they have the, the cook sandwiched in between them doing the typical like someone else with the arms thing. That oh, yep. yeah, I would be scarred for life, especially if I had to like make out with Mr. Body on the couch. Like, mm-mm. nope. Again, you can see the head wound. And then, of course, uh, Miss Scarlet and Professor Plum, you have the motorist who they have just poured champagne on. Got a bottle in his ha- and hat on top of his wound. Like he's yep. passed out in the chair. Professor Plum, very, very committed to his act, uh, making out with Miss Scarlet. And she's like, oh, God. Poor Miss Scarlet. <laughs> I feel like Professor Plum forgot why they're doing this. Christopher Lloyd maybe forgot why they were doing that. Um, <laughs> I congratulate him. Comedic gold. And then he goes and the cop goes and takes the uh, makes a call. Power goes out. He gets bonked. Um, mm-hmm. And then singing telegram arrives at the front door. Yeah, right? And gets shot. I am a singing telegram <laughs> like that. I'm like, yeah, you are that obnoxious. Kind of glad I don't have to listen to the rest of that. <laughs> Do you know who that is, by the way? Did you guys look that up? Oh, I read who it was. And now I've completely forgotten. Jane Weedland. I think it's Weedland, but she's in uh, the Go-Go's. Yes. She's like in an actual band. Oh. Yeah. What a hilarious like five second cameo where she just gets shot. I'd take that role. <laughs> Let's be honest. Fun day of work. Yeah, I do appreciate that like as these deaths are piling up, like they're getting faster and faster. So we're like building the pace toward the end. Um, I love everyone's reaction when they find uh, the cop. Well, it's. I feel like they find somebody else too, but they like find the cop. Everyone's just like, whatever. They go over to the door. They just open it. They're like, okay, just close it and walk away. Uh, we didn't mention a vet gets strangled. Those three die in quick succession. Three more deaths. Now we're up to six. This is getting serious. Now it's getting seriously sick. But the way they all walk in and just see a vet's dead strangled by the rope. They're like, eh. <laughs> it's like, oh no, the shining star of your cast. Everyone just looks. Turns around, leaves. Then I think it's the cop first. Turns around, leaves. Finds a vet. Turns around, leaves. Goes to the front door. That one's great because they see her dead on the porch and like eh, they just close the door, <laughs> which doesn't make sense considering they know the police are coming. But I don't know. I mean, at that point, they're borderline in shock. So like, I whatever happens happens. But this is where, in my opinion, the movie starts to kind of drag and. The only reason that I think it's kind of funny is because there is this like 
uh, recurring thing with Wadsworth where he's like, oh, to make a long story short, it's already been a long story and the whole cast is like too late. That horrible joke I made earlier. Um, You've just, you missed half the joke. Don't worry about it. Uh, (laughs) I think it took at least with the first ending much too long to go through the sequence of events. And I'm not sure how I would have made it shorter. Just tighter editing, I think. We didn't need to rehash the whole, you know, first 30 minutes of the movie. So, like, it does give Tim Curry some time to to shine a little bit. I do appreciate the part where he's like, and the lights go out, and then they come back on, and he's on the floor like Mr. Body, and then he just pops up and is like, yes. Mr. Body's on the floor. Yeah, it drags for a little bit, but as soon as they get to like, okay, now, okay, I know all this, get to the stuff where you're going to tell me something new. I do appreciate his uh, Oprah impersonation of you got a letter and you got a letter and you got a letter. So there are like there are comedic bits in here. It's just smidge too long for my liking. Yep. Uh, so I, I was going to ask Maggie, have you ever introduced this movie to somebody and like, have you ever sat down and watched it? You know, Ian doesn't count, but <laughs> in a different situation, have you ever like said, Oh, you haven't seen clue. Let's watch clue. Have you ever done that? Uh, yeah, I think I assume it was movie night in college. I think Emma and I made everybody watch it. That sounds right. I've made a lot of people watch a lot of movies. Yeah, I was going to say, I think you did that. I think you did that to me, actually. Probably. <laughs> I've done that to you countless times. I had my cousins watch it one Christmas because um, we were talking about Clue the board game. And I was like, you haven't seen this. I didn't tell them that there were multiple endings at the end. I kind of let it just like happen to them. When you first watched this movie, did you know that there are multiple endings like this or did you go into it blind? Um, oh, let me think back to the first time I watched this. I don't think I knew the first time I watched it, but the first time I watched it, I was probably a kid. So it was probably my dad's a big movie buff, so I probably watched it with him. So I don't know what my reaction would have been. I know that we had like the the DVD growing up and you could either like watch it where it had all the endings or you could basically do like ending roulette. Oh, interesting. And it would just like pick one for you, which was kind of cool because I do think if you watch how it's usually um, like you usually find it on streaming platforms and stuff where it has all the endings strung together. I think sometimes with like the second and third, it feels disjointed because you don't get the smooth like lead into it. So I feel like the the ending roulette kind of like helped with that. But I don't if I showed it, Ian, if I showed it to you, I probably didn't tell you that there were multiple endings. But the thing is, I don't remember the first time I saw it. So <laughs> I like to just be tell people like sit down. We're watching this movie and give them no information. I love doing that. It's great. I think that's only only one time has it like been me in the ass when people were like, I hate this. And I was like, well, it's not supposed to be great is when I made you watch the Warriors, you and Emma. Oh, that would have benefited from literally just like a quick, this is not serious. <laughs> to be fair, I had shown you guys like a lot of really great classics. And then I was like, now it's time for you to watch the like stupid stuff. And I didn't preface it with that. And we didn't know it was supposed to be stupid. And we had literally thought that Maggie had like bonked her head or something. And like, <laughs> oof, you really, you really biffed that one, Maggie. I know. I learned after that where I would just be like, we're watching a stupid movie or we're watching a good movie. That's like telling a joke and forgetting like, you know, the first half of the joke. Who would do that? I don't know. (laughs) Um, So after Wadsworth kind of recounts the uh, events of the evening, it hits a point where 
The movie has three different endings, which we've alluded to multiple times. So originally when they did the movie, theaters were given one ending and it was kind of constructed as this marketing gimmick of like, oh, different theaters will have either ending A, B or C. We'll tell people there are multiple endings and like get people to go see the movie multiple times. It may have backfired a little bit. It's part of some of the criticism. Some of the endings are definitely stronger than others. Uh, we'll uh, debate which ones are the strongest in a minute. But um, I think there is a little bit of a flaw in that. Because like, what if you're in a small town and there's like one theater? <laughs> you get one ending. Well, and oh, kind of like I've mentioned already, I don't need to watch the film multiple times and then watch them rehash the first part of the film multiple times. So like, I, I think had there not been so much redundancy, it could have worked, but I don't need to watch and then be told what I watched. Right. I mean, do we think in like the age of like social media and streaming that something like that would be more successful? Because it relies a little bit on word of mouth, right? And then access, you have a lot more access. You have the like Black Mirror choose your own adventure situation that happened that I believe was pretty successful. But that was they kind of like advertised it that way where it was going to be almost like a video game. What was that called? Um, it's a weird word on Netflix. Choose your own adventure. Interactive. No, do you remember uh, <laughs> Black Mirror? Uh, band, bander, Bandersnatch. Bandersnatch. That's the thing you're referencing, right? I, I think, think so. so. I yeah, I, I can see 100% why this would backfire, right? Because if you watch it and you just get one ending, you, all you ended with unless you watched one of them, you ended with an unsatisfying ending, right? Anyway, let's argue. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to throw down and make myself never be invited back. <laughs> well, I'll start by describing what um I believe is the best ending because it is the most logical ending. So with ending A, we hit a point in Wadsworth's description of the events where he explains that the person who has the gun in their purse is the one who committed these murders. And it is revealed to be Miss Scarlet. Wadsworth takes people through the evening. He explains how Yvette's the one who murdered the cook because she wasn't in the room when everyone was freaking out about Mr. Body's alleged first murder. Because she had once worked for Miss Scarlet as a call girl, Scarlet then kills Yvette and the other victims through the secret passages, etc. And then as Scarlet is ready to shoot Wadsworth, because there is one bullet left in that gun, because one plus two plus one plus one. No, no, no. It's one plus two plus two plus one. Right? No, it's one plus two. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite banter. It's very good. As she's getting ready to do that, uh, I think Wadsworth takes the gun from her. Uh, a shot does fire off. It reveals that he was wrong. Uh, the evangelists that earlier came to the door and Mrs. Peacock shoot away because if anyone else comes in this house, they'll die. Uh, comes in with the cops. It's revealed that Wadsworth is undercover FBI agent. And then the chandelier falls one last time, narrowly missing Colonel Mustard and a callback to our earlier scene. So that's how it could have happened. But how about this? In the second ending, we actually have that Miss Peacock is revealed to be the murderer. So the, the second and third endings, the reveals are much, much quicker in the sequence because we don't have the entire rehashing of the first part of the film. But Miss Peacock has the gun. So her motive is given as concealing all of the bribes that she's been taking from foreign powers. So she has to knock off everybody that knows that she has now been taking those 
bribes. I do appreciate the fact that they decide that they're going to just all leave and pretend like nothing ever happened. And they have this hilarious, so she's a good, jolly good fellow section as she is leaving the house. Which Madeline Kahn, once again. He's the only one harmonizing. Like, it's so perfect. You could clearly pick her out of the group. It's like, oh, wow, she's committed to this. No emotion on her face doing this ridiculous yes. harmony. Amazing. Christopher Lloyd does not know what to think. He's like, are you really doing this? Okay, I guess I'll sing. (laughs) Um, So she leaves the house. The evangelist comes back and is like, Miss Peacock, how do you know my name? And of course, again, revealed to be an FBI slash cop like agent. They arrest her, take her off. Um, And then the ending, you have the rest of the cast coming out. Finally, Mr. Green gets slapped instead of Miss Peacock. um, And Wadsworth asks if they want some fruit or dessert. Which, again, more nods back to earlier in the film. And and that's great. Um, but here's what really happened. All right. Uh, all these people are pieces of shit. It's very well established. Professor Plum murdered Mr. Body because he's the one that's blackmailing everyone. That one's pretty straightforward. Or at least he thought he killed him, right? Mrs. Peacock, who I mentioned earlier, disappeared from that scene. What she had actually went and done is uh, ran to the kitchen and stabbed the cook in the back. Colonel Mustard shoots the motorist because, as we already established as well, uh, the motorist knew him because he used to drive Colonel Mustard when they were in the army together. And Maggie, you uh, you so helpfully pointed out that he's in a photograph with Colonel Mustard together. Damn it. Fucked myself over. That's right. Miss Scarlet kills the cop because she's been bribing him to let her keep running the brothel. Now, I'll be the first to state that's a little bit of a plot hole. Why would he act like everything's fine if he clearly knew the person anyway mrs white kills yvette because yvette's a babe no because she had an affair with her husband but also uh, her when she describes doing this in a vest just like or not of it mrs white's just like i felt flames on the side of my face flames (laughs) oh man it's the only ad-libbed line in the movie was that true yeah, I believe it's wow. the only one. So uh, Lynn was very adamant on like, do the script the way it's done. But then Madeline Kahn just did that. And it was hilarious. Heaving, breathing. <laughs> oh, man. Rex. So good. So good. Uh, Wadsworth kills the singing telegram girl who had an affair with Professor Plum because she's one more informant to dispose of. And that's kind of alluding to what's going to happen here. Right. Um, and then Wadsworth uh, reveals that he was the one blackmailing them. He invited Mr. Body. He wanted to wrap up all the loose ends. The cook uh, that um, the motorist was actually invited in this ending and the cop as well was kind of like lured out to the house so that they could all be eliminated cleanly. He can get away with all of it. And he just recommends that they all slowly, slowly leave. And in this ending, it's revealed that Mr. Green is actually who says he works for the State Department. He's actually in the FBI and uh, he lets everybody in and <laughs> delivers maybe the best line of the film. He says, I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife <laughs> after he spent the entire movie yucking it up with these like uh, <laughs> with these gay tropes in the 50s. Fantastic. Now we will debate which ending is the best. As I said, ending A, it's the most logical one. Scarlet's got clear motive money and secrets because that is the most capitalist thing and the communism was just a red herring as is stated in every ending which i like they pulled that thread throughout 
So yeah, you can't use that as supporting. Wait, we need to table say here. Whoa, 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 whoa. Um, are we are we trying to debate which ending makes the most sense or which is the best ending? Do you think the best is the funniest or the most logical or both? The latter. I think uh, whichever one can probably split the difference, right? Probably. I mean, we can rank them right. at the end. We do like to rank things here. I would love to rank. It's the second ending, by the way. Uh, as I was saying the first, it is the most logical. Scarlet is on the ground floor the whole time, which is where in, where like basically all of the murders happen. She clearly knows where at least one of the passageways is, the secret passages, because she finds the right hook to pull in the freezer basically immediately. And Yvette could have informed her of the other passageway. Yvette is the one who killed the cook and was working with Miss Scarlet. Of course, Scarlet will kill her to tie up loose ends. What a heel turn by Yvette, right? Because... This is we didn't talk about this, but in that scene where she's killed, she drops her accent and she's talking to somebody who's clearly her boss and telling her what to do. So I I agree. That's that's a really good. Mm, Were they clearly her boss? And it definitely sounds like a woman's voice, too. It does. Like it's somebody affecting a voice, but it definitely sounds like a woman. It's the one she's taking instruction from. Is is it her boss? I don't know. But. And it makes the most sense that Wadsworth is an FBI agent because he takes the call from J. Edgar Hoover. He's like setting up basically a wiretap or like listening device with the recording earlier on. He's the one who's like collecting evidence and stuff like that. I'm just still not convinced that Miss Scarlet has enough over Yvette to have her actually kill somebody for her. We don't know Yvette. We thought Yvette was a sexy French woman. And no, she's not even French, it turns out. What do we know? Nothing. So anyway, I rest my case. Uh, Thank you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Ending A is the best. If it's a jury, that means we would probably just like overrule you as a majority, right? Yeah. So you probably don't want a jury. We'd be honestly, we'd be a hung jury because like no way. (laughs) A hung jury. Am I right? Am I right? (laughs) We we high five digitally. There we go. Thanks. Maggie hates this. I really think. Yeah, it's fine. She can just not have us back. (laughs) Um, Honestly, I really think the second ending is much better than the first for sure. And like much more true to the board game than the third. So the thing with the first ending, again, like I said, I don't believe that Yvette actually has that much of a like she's not that beholden to Miss Scarlet. In the second one, what I like one in true board game fashion, there is one person who is the mastermind and the executioner. So we don't have this messy, like multiple people involved thing in the other two endings. Also, the fact that Miss Peacock is so chaotic and is revealed to actually be this amazing mastermind that is like coordinating all this stuff. It's all just a ruse. And I love it. It's a heel turn for sure. Exactly. But how did she know about the secret passageway? She didn't have any inside informants who would have let her know about those. She didn't go through the secret passageways. Yeah. Oh, she did. They do say that she had to. And she's in the basement the whole time with Professor Plum. Supposedly. Maybe there's a third secret passage from the like basement up. You never know. That's not true to the board game. But there's no basement in the board game or attic in the board game. (laughs) I think my biggest issue with this ending is she. Okay, then how that scene with Yvette and where Yvette is killed. Explain. Explain how 
how would she know Yvette? Why would Yvette be taking instructions from her? Why it, I, that does not make sense. Yeah, but the oh, it's you. It like shows how surprised she is that it would be Little Miss Peacock who's like totally not on the radar. But the dialogue implies that she's taking instructions and knows the person. I I still don't. Th- well, yeah, because they're there the whole night. But no, she knows her. I'm. I'm not going to take instructions to murder from somebody I just met. Well, but in this ending, Yvette didn't murder anybody. Miss Peacock murders everyone in this oh, ending. But then, but yes. then, but still, why would you have that scene though with Yvette in the billiard room? Yeah, zero sense. That does not make sense. Does not check out. I mean, I'm sure there's some connection between the clients at Miss Scarlet's establishment slash Yvette's clients and the bribes. There's some connection there. Don't don't look too hard. The main point <laughs> is we get this hilarious, awkward singing that I brought up with Madeline Kahn stealing the show Very again. True. And we get the wonderful, hilarious tropes coming back with the slapping and the fruit or dessert. So for me, this is the funniest ending. And of course, like I mentioned like three times already, one perpetrator, which I think is key. I, you just like Miss Peacock's chaotic energy. I do. I relate to it. I know you do. Especially the heel turn at the end where like actually underneath it all, you're like, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I I love Miss Mrs. Peacock. She is so unhinged in this ending. For for she's a jolly good fellow, really classic. But Ian, it's not even close to being the best ending. the The third ending is the ending where if it was shown in theaters, everyone leaves the movie theater satisfied because everyone's a piece of shit. Everyone's culpable. Uh, Wadsworth is a mastermind, and I think I seriously think the best joke in the film is with Mister Green, who has acted like. just played up the homosexual tropes in the 50s and it has paid off so satisfyingly at the end when he's an fbi agent i just i think it just takes the cake on both believable details and it's not perfect i'll be the first to admit that there are some plot holes um with those details but just setting everyone up to be the murderer and then paying it off that way i think makes it the funniest and the most intricate as well I think the biggest plot hole with the third ending is the Mr. Body, because I think Wadsworth is like, yeah, he was the butler. And I was like, what butler would be like, yeah, I'll pretend to be the blackmailer, give people a bunch of murder weapons and then also tries to run and escape. Like it makes that even worse. That's right. That's true. Look, I do not think the third ending is the best in terms of nailing the details and having a a really cohesive plot. I still think it's the best ending because I think it threads the needle of being very funny and wacky and intricate. I mean, I, if I had to rank them, I would have to put the third one first just because you get the flames on the side of my face. That's what I'm talking about. Which is the most iconic line in the movie. I know I said the illusionist was my favorite. I take it back. They're all iconic. They're all good. I think I would, I would rank it Ending C, ending A, ending B. Okay, so you just went from calling them one, two, and three endings, and now you've used lettering. But I guess, so if we're about to rank them, ranking three first, that's going to get confusing as well. So I would would like to move, by Robert's Rules of Order, I would like to move that we use the alphabet system. I second. The motion is on the floor for a vote. Uh, All in favor say aye. 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 
Nay. Overruled. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> Mr. Contrarian over here. Uh, so you said, sorry, you said Maggie, uh, ending C was your favorite. Yeah, I go ending C, ending A, ending B, just because okay. I think both ending A and ending B have funny moments. I think ending B or ending A just aligns more with like what we've seen happening in the movie. It makes more sense. And see, I agree that ending C is the best, but I personally find ending B much funnier. But your order, could you officially is CBA? Okay. All right. Um, that is, I think. Did we put you in a tough spot, Chuck? No, <laughs> I win. So no, but uh, ending C is my favorite. So number one, a uh, number two, I think Scarlet is my second favorite ending. So C A B, damn yeah. it, suck it, Ian. Because uh, the Scarlet ending is the one that makes the most sense, and that's where the rewatchability of the film, kind of watching it, plays out. If you're looking for a movie that makes sense and for the writing to stick and the plot holes to be kind of, uh, for the most part, you know, fixed, the Scarlet ending is satisfying. But man, the C ending is really funny, and I love it. So actually, there was a fourth ending planned. Eh, well. I don't know. Up for debate. I don't need your pseudoscience. I'll do my own research, Maggie. Oh, sir. I have proof. Okay. All right. Oh, so you found it. There was a fourth it. ending planned. Oh, yes, I did. Wait, really? Yeah. How dare you doubt me? You have the video. Well, there isn't video. Oh. But there was a fourth ending that was written and filmed, or at least partially filmed, that never actually made it into the movie. However, it does exist in the novelization and the storybook that they released. And I happen to have a copy of the storybook. Wow. Tell us a story. It's story time with Maggie. <laughs> so uh, this is a kid's book, too. And I was like, this is fucking dark for a kid's book. Um, but basically, it has like the story of the movie and screen captures. And then it gets to a point where it says Wadsworth knows who the murderer is, do you? And there's, if you figure it out who recognized the cook, continue reading below. If, you fi if you've figured out who works for the FBI, turn to page 55. If you think the butler did it, turn to page 57. And if you figured out who'd been working together all along, turn to page 60. It's dawning on me that you ordered this book because uh -huh. you have it in your hands. Wow. This is commitment. It's where the champagne budget for this episode went. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Worth it. Maggie is nothing if not committed to a bit. Mm. <laughs> I will do almost anything for a bit. So I've discovered. So wait, which prompt leads you to the fourth secret ending? The third one, which is the if you think the butler did it. And in this ending, Wadsworth did it because of his pursuit of perfection. He... Uh, desperately wanted to be the best butler um, and husband, but couldn't be. So he decided to become the best murderer. For uh, for listeners, Ian and I have been making disgusted faces. Uh, it's I'm just confused because like, yeah, he made some comments about like wanting the kitchen to be tidy and how he buttles. Oh. But yeah, he specifically says, because my life has been spent in a struggle for perfection. So he resolved to at least be the perfect murderer. He said that in the movie? No, he says it in the book. Oh, well. So he killed everyone. Uh, yeah, so in this, he killed everyone. And then he informs all the guests that the champagne they drank at the beginning of the evening was poisoned. Kind of love that. 
yeah, that they have a, a time limit. And then the evangelist shows up and is the FBI. There's him punching Wadsworth in the gut. Maggie is literally doing like story time with Miss Maggie, like showing the book to the camera. <laughs> Listen up, children. Was that a real a real shot from the film where he's been punched? This is the one from the ending. And I don't think it appears anywhere no, else in the film. It does not. Wow. Did they actually film part of this? Apparently. Yeah. I don't I don't know like how much they filmed. I had trouble like finding out exactly, but they at least started to. Um, and then Wadsworth like runs off and gets in one of the police cars and zooms off. <laughs> um, but then you find out that there are three police dogs in the back seat. And it's implied that they kill Wadsworth. That's I feel like if anything makes made that unfilmable, it was Wadsworth running and getting into a car and then driving off and the dogs. And they're probably like, you know what? That's a lot of work. But this ending's batshit crazy. Is it is it weird that I actually think I prefer the everyone dies ending? Yes, that is weird. I don't think it says whether or not everyone dies. I don't know if they get medical attention in time or not. It just says Oh, everyone dies. Yeah, Everyone sure. dies. There is no antidote. Okay. okay. Uh, yeah. And this again, again, cannot stress this enough. Children's book. Does it say children's? <laughs> I read that the clue storybook was done as like supposed to be a children's it's book. It's a story. I think so. Because there's a novelization. I would assume that the novelization is more geared towards adults. I didn't get that one because it was a lot more expensive. And were you going to read a novel for this episode? Again, no. anything no. for a bit, maybe for a bit, except for <laughs> that. I would have considered it. But. Anyway, so fourth ending does exist in some form. I kind of prefer that one. No, that one sucks ass. I think good. That one's <laughs> that one's my number four. Ending D is number four for me. Actually, it's ending three in that storybook. So ending C is now my number four. Oh, too confusing. One plus two plus one plus one. So there's one boy. No, it's left one plus one plus two plus one. I just said it correctly. I said one plus two plus one plus one. No, which it's is one five. plus two plus two plus one, which is six. <laughs> I think. Because <laughs> there was a bullet in the gun and it shot the chandelier. Only in one of the endings, though. <laughs> I feel drunk. I, oh, I can't believe I had to do math on my day off. I find this to be a delightful movie, though, so I'm like all for it. And I'm so glad you made me watch it again. You're welcome. So worth your time. Very good. It's a good one. I feel like it's a good like group movie, too. It's like a good one to watch with friends. And to surprise your friends with there being three endings. True. I will say I think you got to know your audience, though, a little bit, because I, I do think there are some people who the sense of humor might not fully jive with. You no, know, do the Maggie strategy. Just say, fuck them. Uh, don't prep them at all. Just throw them in with it. It works most of the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could mm-hmm. say that this is like the pinnacle of filmmaking, like best one ever made and see how people react. Here's the thing. You just got to build up your movie cred. <laughs> That's what you got to do is you got to show people really good stuff. And then you got to be like, now trust me. Wait, is this a movie? There's another strategy, right? Um, you downplay this film before showing it like, oh, yeah, I feel like Clue, you might like this, you know, just be like real casual about it. But then secretly, you're a super fan of this cult classic from 1985, right? Could work. I'll try it out. Let me know how it goes. I have an inability to pretend I'm not excited about things I'm excited about. I think that's cinema negging, right? Is that what that is? <laughs> Sounds about right. All right. Any other thoughts on Clue or are we ready to wrap it up? 
I got no more thoughts other than I just love Tim Curry. I love him. I hope he sticks around. All right. Well, that wraps it up for our fourth anniversary episode. Um, Ian, can you believe we've been doing this for four years? On the one hand, yes. On the other hand, no. But I think that's probably because two years of it have been like pandemic times where uh, what is time? Uh, So (laughs) it's been a great ride. Uh, Yeah, for everyone who's been with us from the beginning, thank you so much. Also, how are you not sick of us? For anyone who's new, uh, thank you so much. Uh, Check out our back catalog. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We appreciate your listenership. Um, You can find us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at Best Pictures Pod at Best Pictures Pod on both. You can email us in at Best Pictures Podcast at gmail.com. Did I get that right? I fucked it up last time. <laughs> and uh, Chuck, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I, I'm so honored. And this was fantastic. And you're lovely. I do have a question for you, though. So you've done this for four years. If you could uh, rank each year and refer to them by A, B, C, or D, which was your favorite year of doing the podcast, that would be helpful for me. Um, oh, God. Anything for a bit, Maggie? I feel like last year we did some good stuff. Oh, yeah. I know we did Rocky last year, which is like one of my favorites. Um, I thought you were going to dismiss my question as a joke. And then, oh, well, we no. take all questions very seriously. Remember how earlier I was like, Maggie oh, will you. do anything for a bit? <laughs> anything for <laughs> a bit. Almost anything for a bit. I'm going to lean on that almost. But yeah, thanks for coming on. We will definitely have you on as a guest again in the future. Um, anything you want to plug? I uh, Yeah. Thank you for asking. I do a show every other Tuesday where we play through, you know, it's kind of on theme here. We play the best video games of every year. We started in 1982 and we're on to 1993 uh, coming up soon. I mean, by the time this comes out, probably be farther on than that. And then I do a uh, I do a thing called Bitrate Erratic where we just play video games together and talk about video games. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, we will catch people next time for... Uh, not 100% sure it'll be a canon episode, though. So uh, we will... I think we'll be in the 90s. I think it'll be our first 90s episode, right? Yeah, sounds about right. What wow. is it? Only 90s kids remember, you know? Um. Oh, no. We're doing driving... No, that's... No, 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 no. This comes out on this comes out on April 1st. Again, this is why I don't remember what's next because it's way before April 1st. So it'll be a canon episode from Wait, the your 90s. anniversary. Your anniversary is on April Fool's. Yeah. Yeah. That's a choice. That's why we do cult classics. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I love it. Okay. I'm in.